Welcome back to Call and Shots. We'll get started here a little bit. I am joined by frequent guest, my good friend uh, from the Rose Garden Report newsletter, Sean Hyken, here to talk about uh, the, the suddenly, I don't know, simmering is the wrong word. What's the opposite of, of simmering? Uh, Portland Trailblazers. Well, it would have really been whatever the opposite of simmering is up until about two days ago because they had lost five in a row. They went three games under 500 and the losses that they had, at least the, the, the three on the road, they had this road trip where they went zero and three in uh, Minnesota, Indiana and Toronto. And all three of those games were very winnable games that they dropped because they had minutes long scoring droughts. And so if you had asked me two days ago, it would have been whatever word you're thinking of, like the opposite of simmering. I think the word that was used a lot is tailspin here. But then they just won two in a row back to back at home against Dallas. And now everybody's kind of back on the bandwagon, at least, you know, at at the very least, the vibes are always better when you win. You you know, you're in a little bit of a, a losing streak. Chauncey Phillips called it a funk. And there was, you know, I tweeted out that quote and I've, of course, got a lot of blowback for that because if a coach doesn't know exactly how to diagnose what's going on with a team, that means he's bad at his job and should be fired, of course. But just getting a couple of wins to stop the bleeding, I think people are feeling a little bit better about where things are at right now than they were maybe a week ago. But obviously there are still a lot of questions to be answered. I I don't think that, that people understand, even for a team that kind of knows it's sort of in the middle, um, the degree to which, and, and, you know, I found this kind of off-putting, to be honest, during during my time with the Bucks is like how everyone's mood is just completely dictated by last night's game. It's like over the course of a season, I don't, I did, I did not enjoy living with that constant up and down of, you know, we've got 82 of these. It's like, it can't be the worst thing or the best thing ever, but it is like the, the, the like if, if, if the practice facility could smile or frown that's really what it what it is when a team wins or loses the, the night before so when you say funk like i know exactly what that is everyone is everyone is bitchy and and or everyone's happy and and you know the right. everyone, everyone thinks all the jokes are funny and 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 if you know and and it, it, banter is good and stuff like that so i well so, I'll, tell, so, I'll tell you this like i you just you can just, I mean, and I, I, th- I think, I mean, I can see both sides, but I can understand how, you know, you, you know, for you, when you were working for the Bucks, you're not a player. So you aren't, you know, whether the team wins or loses isn't directly a reflection of what you did on the court because you weren't playing and you also weren't coaching. So you can, you know, sit back and kind of be a little bit removed from it. And I can tell you that even during the losing streak, I talked to uh, people in the organization who are, you know, important, you know, I, I guess, I guess, I guess uh, people whose opinions carry weight in the organization who aren't players or coaches. And they were, even during that stretch, they were entirely unworried about what was going on. They were like, now nah, we're fine. We're in a rough patch. But then, you know, you see, you know, you go into a locker room. There was a game that they played their last game of the five game losing streak was against the Cavs. And that was a game that, they played really. They played well. Like, like they, if if their game had been a forty-five minute game instead of a forty-eight minute game, they would have won, and it would have been wow. They finally got out of this losing streak, and they won against a really good Cavs team. That you know Donovan Mitchell's out now, but he played in that game. But like, you know, they they got a good win against a good team, but then they kind of just fell apart at the end. And we're going to get to some of the clutch stuff. Uh, I'm assuming on here, 
And but you go in the locker room afterwards, and everybody is just it's it's a it's a funeral home. And then two nights later, they beat Dallas. They blow Dallas out. I mean, they they blew them out actually both games. The second one, you know, they Dallas did, didn't have Luca, but the first one Dallas had you know. They had a bunch of guys out, but like they had Luca playing, and they Blazers won by twenty or twenty five or something like that. And you walk in the locker room, and all the guys, you know, everybody's joking around and like making dinner plans, and like it, it just the, the the mood is just so much better. No, I, I can understand. Like I understand that like the night of, but the importance of yeah. you know at, in 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 sort of high level of you know it's the it's the uh, Ted Lasso thing of be a goldfish. Like you yeah. you want to learn from it, but you can't live in it. Um, and this and- is the thing that I have to tell fans too, because like I just just by nature of covering the team day to day, I view it, and this is probably maybe I shouldn't do this, but I do view it as an obligation of the job to. I don't really engage too much on social media, but you know, I I monitor what people are talking about. I keep tabs on like what people are saying on Twitter. I look at like the Rip City subreddit. I have you know various Discord servers that I'm lurk in. And, you know, the it just vacillates so wildly, not even just about like, you know, whether the team wins or loses, but, you know, player, you know, how people feel about certain players like two months ago. You cannot possibly trade Josh Hart. Josh Hart is a core piece of the team. You know, you will, you know, it's just like the absolute like because he's the heart and soul, you can't trade him. And then this last you know week or so when there's there's this new thing that's kind of come up to the forefront that he's just completely hesitant to shoot three pointers and that's you know making him a huge liability on offense at one point i don't know if this is still true but uh he at one point was 13th on the team in usage but leading the team in turnover rate and now suddenly you know you look at those same people on social media it's like trade josh hart i don't even care what we get back for like it's just it's just and meanwhile i'm sitting here covering this team i i'm not a fan i don't have any agendas for or against any players i'm just sitting here like you know what this team isn't as good as they were the first two weeks of the season when they started out 10 and 3 and they're also not as bad as they were when they had this five-game losing streak a week ago. And they're kind of right about where I thought they were. I think they are probably a little bit better than they've been playing lately. I do think, and we'll probably get to this too, I think ultimately they will probably end up. Or I think it's, I don't, I don't want to say probably just because the margins are so thin, but I think it's very much within the realm of possibility that they end up as like a top six playoff seed and don't even have to deal with the play-in and to me that would be a phenomenally successful season given where the expectations were at the beginning of the year i mean that's the weird part about the west right now is in, like there's 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 three you know, teams that are good there's yeah. three teams that we know definitively are good uh denver memphis and new orleans new orleans and then yeah. beyond that it's like like the blazers so they won these two games against uh dallas they went from 11th to 9th i think they might even be an eighth now because like somebody lost yesterday but they're one game out of six they're two and a half games i think out of fourth so right. and it's like so it's like the, and, and they also like they have tiebreaker over phoenix they tied their season series with dallas so that's going to come down to other stuff like they still have three games left to play against sacramento which is a team that they're you know it's is one of the teams ahead of them that's going to have to you know be competing with them for a spot in the standing so like there there's still and then here's the other part of it not only in the, you know this is something that uh w- you know we've pointed out you know here locally 
they've already played well over half their road schedule. They played like, I think, I think they played like 20, like they're, they're in Denver tonight. I think that's going to be like their 24th or 25th road game. Vast majority of their games. They've already had two of their three, six game road trips already done. Plus another couple of uh, three or four game road trips. The vast majority of the rest of their games, they're, uh, are going to be at home. They, they're, they're in Denver tonight. That's their last road game in the month of January. So they have a ton of home games coming up. And you look at the teams that they've already played. They've already played a lot of their games against. They played Phoenix. They're done with Phoenix. They're done with Dallas. After tonight, they'll be done with Denver. Like a lot of the teams that, you know, you look at and say, these are better teams than them or teams in kind of their same tier. You, you know, they, they will be mostly done with. And so the back of their schedule is going to be very much loaded with teams that if they're not already in the Wembenyama sweepstakes might be after the trade deadline. And the one thing you can kind of point to with them is there are four teams in the league right now. Like you assume Oklahoma City is going to get there. You assume like maybe Utah is going to eventually just like stop trying to make the play in and get there. But there are four teams that right now as we say today, are already in the Victor Wembanyama thing. And that's Charlotte, Detroit, New, uh, San Antonio, and uh, Houston. They haven't lost to any of those teams. So they're taking care of the teams you're supposed to take care of for the most part. And they have a lot of those coming up. They have a lot of home games coming up. And that's why when I say I think there's a good chance they're going to be top six, that doesn't say anything about how I think they'll do in the playoffs. It's just the schedule is so favorable to them going forward. They've already had kind of the hardest part of their schedule, and they're still kind of treading water that I think that, you know, by the end of the season, I think they're going to be in okay shape. So to, to that point, they are, at this point in the season, I like to – generally speaking, about a third of the league plays at, at about a 50-win pace. About a third of the league wins fewer than 35 games, and a third of the league is in the middle. This year, it's, un, like I, I wrote about this on the, the dunked on the other day, is that this year, there's an unprecedented number of teams. There's 18 teams in the middle right now, yeah. which is the most there's ever been at this point in the season. But they're 1-7 and seven against those those 50-win pace teams and 8-1 and one against the under-35-win teams. So that that's... that. For this team, I think that that shows a little bit of the importance of, of you know, maybe more than even most, like how much the schedule might dictate sort of the uh, the whims of, of how they're feeling. Totally. And I mean, I'm not and, the, and even like the way that the West shakes out. I mean, we we did talk about there are three teams that we think are really good right now, and that's Denver, who they play tonight and they they blew out at the beginning of the season. And then they lost on one last second Jamal Murray shot the second time they played. So like you, you look at the, you know, even the teams at the top of the West, like there's no warriors with Kevin Durant on this team, like, or, or, or in the West, there's like, there's no, there's yeah. no, like, even, you know, in the East, there's no Celtics. Like there's no, there's no, you know, you, you don't like, I don't know if there's any team that they could play in a playoff series that I would definitively say, Oh, they'll definitely win that series. But I also don't think, and this is probably true of any playoff matchup, not even just involving Portland, but just any possible playoff matchup in the West, you could be like, uh, you know, I could make an argument for either team. No, it's, I mean, the, something I've been looking at is the, right now it's five games, the space between fourth and 13th in the West. And I think that that sort of, that goes to your point. And we don't, and of those teams above them, we don't really trust New Orleans totally yet, just because... Zion's Zion, still out. Yeah, Zion's still out, and he's never played in the playoffs. Uh, Denver's defense has been better recently, but you question that. So, like, 
of the, the the of the playoff teams, you're like Memphis. Memphis is probably the one that you feel best about. And yeah. Memphis is like I think Memphis is really good, but it's not like I said, right. it's not the war the Kevin Durant era Warriors. There's no juggernaut. Yeah. No, this is this is I mean this 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 so far this season we have the worst best and best worst teams. Like Right. So there are four there are four truly awful teams. Yeah. I ran down, but even like, yeah. like I just saw one team that I just saw here in Portland the other day, Orlando, like they're probably going to end up with like a top five or six position in the lottery, but the they're frisky. decent, yeah. they're decent, they can hang with teams on, you know, the, you know, they, they beat Portland, they can hang with good teams, they beat, they beat uh, Boston, like they can hang with good teams, Oklahoma City, you know, with the year that Shea is having, like I said, I would imagine they'll, yeah, they'll probably make up some kind of injury for him at some point in the season to really get serious about the Victor thing. But right now, they're decent. They can hang with they can hang with good teams. Portland lost to them twice in a row in Oklahoma City, which is not great. But that team is that's not to me. And the thing I've had to tell people about that when they were freaking out about that, like, yes, you should have gotten one of those two games against Oklahoma City, but Oklahoma City is not with Shea playing and with like all their guys playing is not at all the same thing as if you were to lose to like Houston or Detroit or Charlotte. I mean, you know, OKC has a positive point differential on the year. They've got guys even besides Shea. Like, like Giddy's had a good year. Like Trey Mann's had a good, like they've got guys and they're well coached and it's just a good, you know, that that's not, that's not a team that, you should look at there are the four teams like the Charlotte, Detroit, uh, San Antonio, Houston. Those are the four teams that any decent team should look at and say that's a win. We can just pencil that one in. And Oklahoma City is not that bad. No. So I, this is this is a, a a stilted segue, but we're gonna go. You, you mentioned coaching, and I think we you, you, we've you've talked about people getting upset with 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 Chauncey Billups and stuff like that. Um, I have. I, like I have some micro questions about Chauncey Billups, but I think that you know the 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 uh, the the adage you know, the best way to not lose close games is to not play close games. Portland's played a lot of close games, and I I, I arbitrarily picked December first to look at because I remember they started the year pretty well in close games. They're seven and five in games that the NBA defines as clutch uh, through December first. They are now nine and fourteen, so they've gone two and nine in their last 11 class. And I, I, how much, like just how much of that is just dropping these winnable games, as you say, like creates this, this, this feeling like if they're, you know, if they go four and seven, even over, over those 11, how much different do you feel about stuff and how much better do people feel about anything? But I, even when they were winning some of those close games early in the year, I thought they kind of got away with some things. I remember uh, one game I remember was, uh, Against the Lakers, uh, this was a game where I, I uh, was it was it uh, someone hit a corner three to at the buzzer to win the game. Uh, I forget, I forget who off the top of my head. But but uh, late in the game, they gave up a soft switch to just feed Yusuf Nurkic to LeBron, and he goes to the basket and, and scores to put them ahead. And there's been a number of times where there's been like a defense. The, the other team has had the ball and called timeout. And there hasn't been a defensive sub made on like a defense only possession and just a number of these like little things and like the propensity for going for quick twos and and things like that. So those are some micro criticisms I might have of of Chauncey Billups, but it's also sometimes the ball just bounces certain ways. So give me your assessment of how how year two has been for, for Billups. 
he's still learning and he'll tell you that he's still been learning. Actually, just the other night, we asked him after one of the Dallas games, just kind of, you know, because, because one of the uh, issues that uh, there have been over this losing streak, it happened twice in the Toronto game. And it happened once at the end of the Indiana game where they would go six or seven minutes at a time without making a field goal. And something that Chauncey was talking about after that is that now it's like he's kind of figured out, okay, I need to just call a timeout when something like this, like, like he, he, he at, at different points would be like, you know, in the school of, you know, let guys just play through this and, you know, figure, figure out what it is. And then, but I think he's kind of now realized like, okay, I need to actually like call timeout, make a substitution. There is, you know, he, he's, he's started trying some different things. Maybe part of this is just that they're starting to get guys healthy again. Gary Payton, the second who famously was not playing for basically half the season is now in the lineup and contributing. And he's doing exactly what, you know, they signed him to do. And Nasir Little, who missed about six weeks with a hip injury, just came back. Uh, one thing I'll say about Chauncey is that he's not super wedded to rotations. And like one thing that I think a lot of fans have kind of been getting, you know, getting on him for is the amount of minutes that he's been playing as starters. And it's like, they've just had so many guys in and out of the lineup recently that it's like, you know, your, your whole second unit is basically two rookies and two second year guys at that point. So now that he's got more guys healthy, like he did something interesting that I wrote about uh, in, you know, in the second uh, Dallas game, he, he did, you know, he started, he played this small lineup that he had never played before that had Jabari Walker at the five. He played a couple different uh, versions of that. So he's, he's still kind of trying stuff out. He's still kind of figuring it out. So it's it's still very much a work in progress. And I mean, it's a it's a pretty different roster than he had last last year. Very different. Um, no, I, I I kind of the there are teams for whom a set rotation makes sense, and there are teams less so. I would say that the Blazers are now like for in terms of rotation, you probably want you know Dame and Yusuf, Yusuf Nurkic and Jeremy Grant to kind of have some sort of regular play patterns and stuff like right. that. But everything, like, you don't, like, what works around that those guys? And, and which groups do, do you not even want Nurkic on the, like, you'd, like the only way to, to try it is to try it. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. I don't, you know, it's, it, it's sort of a little bit of a damned if you do thing. Uh, damned if you don't is like, well, you know, um, you know, here in Milwaukee, there's a coach who often gets criticized for not trying it stuff enough or in the past had often gotten criticized for not trying stuff enough. And it's like, well, they're winning all these games. It's like, okay, well, or you try stuff and you lose some games. It's like, why are we losing these games? It's like, well, pick one, you know, pick, pick the way you pick the mistake you got, you want the coach to make and stick with it that way. Um, so you, I'm, I'm, you, you, you're thinking that they are going to kind of get out of the plan. And I'm kind of, I look at the, I look at the talent on the team. I look at, um, you know, who else is, is, is in the West? I look at the Warriors starting to get healthy. I look at, uh, at some other things and I, I question, uh, whether, whether getting up to six and sticking there is, is something that is a re I don't, I'm not, it's not an unreasonable expectation, but it's certainly above my median expectation for this team over the rest of the year. What am I missing? It's not even about them as much as the stuff that I've been saying before about how just the West is so close and they're, you know, they, they've had the tough part of their schedule already. And honestly, something we haven't even talked about yet is that 
Dame has been as good as he's ever been pretty much. Now, you know, he had those couple of, you know, stints that he missed with the calf injury, but for the most part this year, he's been himself. And, you know, he's outside of like, I think like Luca is probably the, the guy that you would look at as like a guy on that, like four five, six range teams that's better than him. But other than that, it's like you take him over pretty much any of these. And honestly, even if they get into the, even if they end up in the play in, you'd probably take Dame over anybody in a single elimination game, right? Wouldn't you? Well, the Warriors might be there, so. Well, That's sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 expect, I'm expecting the, I'm not even yeah. like counting the, I'm expecting the Warriors to yeah. like fine and move up. To, I'm not even counting the Warriors as part of this. I'm talking about more in the like Sacramento, Phoenix, Dallas, like that. That's more, uh, who, who am I missing? Like Minnesota. Like, I think they're better than Minnesota. I think they're better than Utah. Like, who, like some of these, like these, right. those other teams in that range. I'm kind of more penciling the Warriors into four than I am putting them in that. That makes sense. Although, although the, uh, it, that would be it. That would, the banter coming out of a, a single elimination Warriors Blazers game, either way, uh, would be, would be tasty, but. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it um, depends on, depends on, depends on where the game is. If the game is in Portland, like for whatever reason, Golden State just like cannot win on the road this season. I literally have never seen a team with, a bigger difference between their home record and their road record than the Warriors this year. They're, I mean, they're just, they're, they're an odd team that's going through some things. I think, I mean, it's, you know, a coach who I think has, should have been experimenting more for a lot of the season and, and maybe hasn't, you know, with the young guys was like, if there's one thing you can, you can, I think unilaterally praise Billups for it's his willingness to play the young guys and kind of live with some mistakes. And, and I think that a lot of Warriors fans would wish Steve Kerr would do the same thing. Uh, maybe well, you, know how it, you know how it is with every, with yeah. every, every fan base, like they want to play the rookies. Yeah. They want to play the young guys. And Chauncey has even talked about this, like as much as he is willing, like Shaden Sharp has been in the rotation every single night this season. Jabari Walker, their other rookie has very recently. And some of that was due to injuries, but now they're getting guys back. He's still in the rotation, but he did say about a week ago after a practice, like, look, you're trying to win. We're going to, I'm going to like default towards playing my veterans. And like, I think that's the thing that fans don't realize is that if you're trying to win games, you can't really, you there's only so much you can do of, you know, playing you know a guy who has no nba experience especially like like jabari walker has been a little bit more plug and play because that's just kind of you know that's what he was in college the kind of things he does at the nba level it's a lot more you know you can just plug him in and he's just going to rebound and you know and you know play defense that's kind of what he does he's kind of like this year's herb jones as far as like a second round guy that like isn't like doesn't have like star potential but just immediately like you're like oh this is going to be a 12-year rotation player Shaden sharp has been a little bit more of a roller coaster where you see like pretty much every night he has at least one just absolutely spectacular whether it be he had this block the other night against dallas that led to a fast break that they scored on that was probably their most fun possession of the year or you know he has these crazy dunks that he does which you know he's gonna he's gonna clean up in the dunk contest like he has that stuff but he also just like a lot of times like he has physically he has the ability to be a good defender but he just like had no idea where to be he doesn't understand schemes yet he doesn't understand like he like on ball like Chauncey has talked about like on ball he's been pretty good but off ball 
he still has, you know, a long way to go. And so there's an NBA rookie right there. Yeah, exactly. And it, but it's all like, I mean, everything, everything I've heard from him, from people behind the scenes about him is that he's a quick learner and he really wants to be great and he works hard. And like, you know, I, I hear all the right things about him behind the scenes, but you know, there are only a couple of rookies every year that immediately are, you know, don't really have those kinds of issues. And, you know, he's not one of them. And when you have that situation, when you had, you know, that he's just kind of like on a normal rookie development curve and you're a team that isn't like if he was, if he was on like Houston or San Antonio, they could afford to play him 35 minutes a game because they aren't really worried about whether they win or lose games on any given night. But when they're trying to, you know, a team that's, if you have Dane, you're trying to make the playoffs. I'm looking at it now. He's playing, he's playing 19.7 minutes a game this season, which is a lot for a rookie who isn't like a sure thing, you know, year one star. I mean, I, that, that's, I think that's probably double what we, and, and not just the, the minutes per game, but the fact that, as you say, he's been consistently in the rotation. Yeah. Opening um, night. I thought it was going to take like half the season because yeah. remember like the Blazers, you know, they drafted Anthony Simons who has had kind of a similar profile where it's like this guy has one of the highest like athletic upsides in the draft, but he didn't actually play at college. So Nobody really knows what to expect from him. I think he played like a hundred minutes his entire rookie season. He barely played at all, and I know that was under a different coach and a different you know front office and a different you know. Well, basically I think he showed the ne- he showed the next year why he had played so little because I mean you know yeah I mean, like, don't have to go back that he was the worst player in the league is he was according year. to the ESPN. I mean, and then you know over it took it took him a few years. Now yeah. he's at you know he he is what he is now like it took him a few years of development. Like, I think Shaden Sharp is further along from day one than he was certainly, but it's not, you know, I think, I think Sharp is going to be really, really good in a couple of years, but even next year might be kind of up and down before he puts it. Like it might be kind of, it might be kind of like a, a, a draft comp that I heard for him. And you, I'm, you're probably more of a draft guy than I am just by nature of having worked in a front office and having had to watch more college basketball than I do but the Anthony Edwards comp is one that I had heard a lot for Sharp and you look at you know Anthony Edwards development curve you you know you see some of you you, you know you, from day one you could see like what was there but also there was some ups and downs and even now like we're in year three and now it seems like over the last you know month couple months or so he's finally starting to really put it together and be able to do it consistently I think it might take a couple of years for Shaden Sharp to get there but I do think he's going to get there I mean, I would have a similar thing. I would, I probably would have gone with Jalen Brown as sure, as, as yeah, a, it's but it's one. it's a similar kind of thing. And it's like the the tools and and just like like marrying them to figuring out when to use them. And it's there, and say, like I said, I've only I've only heard positive yeah. things from coaches and stuff and teammates about his work ethic and about how much he cares and wants to be great and is you know is putting the work in. I, I will say that you you say he, he could be playing thirty five minutes in Houston or San Antonio. Um, I, this is better for him. I agree. I think this is um, this is uh, you, you know it, it it is good for guys to play stakes have have stakes have as much like he is good enough now to be able to play in a game with stakes. Now, Anthony Simons wasn't as a rookie, so it's a good thing he didn't. But the fact that he is and he's getting that instead of you know putting up, you know, playing 35 minutes chucking on a terrible Houston team. It's just better for him becoming a real, real basketball player. I would agree with that. And Chauncey is also like, he isn't just like handing him minutes. Chauncey, like there have been times where he won't play him in the second half. If he wasn't good in the first half. 
Yeah. Um. So, part of the part. I mean, we've I, you've probably mentioned eleven different guys for for the 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 Blazers now, including including the the, the two rookies. Mm-hmm. Um. So that I think leads naturally to you know we're we're kind of in the, the you know the the very we're past January fifteenth, so it's trade season. Mm-hmm. Um. So. What are what are they thinking? What are they looking to do? What should they be looking to do? I think they would like to be buyers. I think they'd like to really, you know, I mean, Joe Cronin has been very open since really since the summer. And, you know, he, he said this, you know, he did a couple of radio interviews over the summer and he just had said the same kind of similar thing on media day, which was the last time he really did a press conference and talked on the record and, uh, he is well aware that this roster is not good enough and that it's not balanced and that, you know, they have some log jams at a few positions. And I think they would like to, I think eventually the plan, like at at some point they're going to make an all in move. I don't know whether that be like OG and who they chased pretty hard in, uh, in June, like around the draft, that was something that they talked pretty seriously with Toronto about. And, uh, I think if, you know, if the stuff continues to go sideways in Phoenix and DeAndre Ayton actually becomes available, I think, like, at some point they're going to look to do something like that. Like, a real, like, needle-moving, like, now we're totally all in, we're trying to contend in the last couple of years of Dame's prime type of move. I don't think, and I mean, I could be wrong, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just predicting stuff, I, but I, I don't think that type of move is going to happen in the next three weeks, I think you're probably more looking at, you know, they're going to have a decision to make about Josh Hart this yeah. summer because he has a player option. I would guess because Jeremy Grant is also going to be a free agent. And I would I mean, I would be shocked if like either he signs that extension. I think he's kind of outplayed that extension as far it's like four years. One twelve is the maximum they could offer him. I think he's probably just this season outplayed that. But even if they don't do an extension, that's going to be like a he re-signs at midnight on July 1st type of thing. So they're going to pay Jeremy Grant. And then it's like, do you also want to pay Josh Hart? And Josh Hart is like, he's probably their best trade chip, just in the sense of like, every single team in the league could use a guy like Josh Hart. Like, every, you know, look, you, look, you look at any team, you could say, oh yeah, Josh Hart would fit in well here. I mean, he has a shortcoming. We talked about some of the offensive stuff, some of the turnover stuff. But as far as both a locker room guy and as like a guy who, you know, for his size rebounds really well and, you know, is the, it's, it's all effort defensively. Like, that's a guy that I think, you know, they'll be able to move. And then, you know, you look at some of the, you know, positional log, like Keon Johnson is a guy that, you know, he's young, he's shown some stuff, but he's just not consistently in the rotation because he's a small guard and they just don't have a lot of minutes for those kinds of guys. But he's a guy that, you know, has shown enough in the limited minutes that he's played that another team might be able to talk themselves into him with, as someone with upside, Justice Winslow is another guy that's going to be a free agent this summer that if Nasir Little is back and Jabari Walker keeps getting minutes, that might make him more, expendable so i'm i'm thinking that they'll probably you know those are the types of guys that they're going to be looking to move and maybe i i don't know i'm just i there's none of this is sourced by the way just like we're not we're we're not on the please don't aggregate this podcast with with our guy jake fisher but please don't aggregate this Uh, but i'd be i'd be more looking at like you know, you look at like San Antonio probably going to be sellers of the deadline. If you can peel off like Doug McDermott as like a shooter with size to come off the bench, like that's something that I think would 
help them that would be gettable for the types of assets that they like that i i think i think you would expect that you know they're gonna they're, they'll do something like that before the deadline you know switch out a few of their bench guys yeah. for bench guys that maybe balance the roster a little bit better but as far as anything bigger that are involving like multiple first round picks and bigger salaries for like an OG Ananobi or who somebody like that, I think if that's going to happen, it's not going to happen until the summer or even until next deadline. Right. Like, like Winslow for a backup big or something. Sure. Like yeah. Is, is something kinda, like yeah. that. Like Mo Bamba or something. I don't it, know. I would, I would maybe aim higher, but <laughs> sure. No, that, but, but like yeah. that, that's the type, like what yeah. I'm saying is that's like the caliber. Yeah, that's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. type of, that's the types of moves. I think that they're going to be, that they're more, I mean, obviously they're going to be like, they're going to be one thing I know about Joe Cronin and I, you know, I've gotten to know him and his cold philosophy pretty well over the past year since he took the job, but like, he's always going to look to be aggressive and look to be opportunistic. So there, if there's an opportunity that presents itself, like a Phoenix comes to them and say, Hey, this Deandre Ayton, Monty Williams thing, we just need to, you know, cut bait and just start over, you know, will you do, you know, what, you know, Nurkic and Josh Hart and like a couple of first, like, I, I think Joe would do that if that was yes. there for him. <laughs> I think you, 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 if that's, if that's available, you, you, uh, three-way the league immediately. Well, but that's, that's, well, the, the thing yeah. is that's, the thing is, I mean, that sounds like a crazy, like, that's not like, I, I'm pretty, like, from what I know, they talked about that at one point last spring when, it, you know, after the game seven of the Phoenix Dallas series, when it seemed like that was just a completely unworkable situation, it would have been too complicated to really figure out because at that point there was like some weird cap stuff with the sign and trade. But like what my, what I'm saying is that like he'll he'll swing if there's a move like that to be made, but he's not going to make a move just to make a move. And so I would think that what's going to they'll do something at the deadline. They're not going to do nothing, but it's going to be more trade a couple of their bench guys for a couple of bench guys that fit better. Uh, more so than any like real roster changing thing. Right, right. Uh, Charlie has, uh, has, as frequently as the case, has a has a question. I, I bet she's going to ask about Josh Hart to the Bucks. Okay, Charlie, is, is that what you're going to ask about, Charlie? I would be so much in favor of Josh Hart to the Bucks. <laughs> I do have a Bucks tie into my question, but it's about somebody who uh, hasn't been mentioned yet. Another young fellow with physical tools. The last dude on the bench for uh, Portland, Mister Ibu Baji. Mm-hmm. Seven foot two um, Senegalese kid. I think he was like nineteen or twenty. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious because I saw him live before he got called up, and he's obviously one of those dudes where it's just like super physically impressive. But I know Portland doesn't have a, a G League team, um, so I'm just curious, like, what's the development sort of plan for a guy who's super raw, um, but doesn't have a team? And I know Seth kind of a, a little bit of a parallel when. You guys took Thon. I would, I would imagine it's like a lot of, a lot of weight stuff. But I'm just curious, like what that looks like in practice. Well, Thon, Thon, Thon McCurr was a little bit of a different. You correct me, like what, what number pick was he? He was a lottery pick, right? It was ten. Ten. Yeah. I, so it's a, yeah. it's a little bit of a different thing taking a guy in the lottery versus signing a guy to a two way contract. No, for it's, sure. This is actually so, so, so. Ibu Baji has. He has not played a single minute. Like the Blazers have two two-way guys. Uh, they're both centers. One of them is uh, Baji, and then the other one is John Butler Jr. John Butler has maybe played a little bit of garbage time, but not any meaningful minutes. Both of them, and this is like this is this is probably where you can see like the Mike Schmidt's influence on the front office, especially when it comes to like the scouting and development side of it already. Because ba- as soon as they signed him to a two-way contract, and this is kind of one of the benefits of the team you cover hiring 
ESPN's lead draft analyst as their assistant GM. You can just Google Mike Schmitz and the name of anybody <laughs> that they signed to like a two-way contract or bring in for a camp invite. And there's a public record of what one of the team's assistant GMs thinks about basically anybody. And so as soon as they signed him, I went and Googled, I literally just Googled ESPN Mike Schmitz Ibu Baji. And I found like a pretty detailed scouting report that Mike had written about him from one of those like NBA Africa Academy uh, showcases from like 2019 or 2020 when he was like 16 or something like that. And he was talking about how like his upside is he could be like a Hassan Whiteside or a Mitchell Robinson or a JaVale like type of just like shot blocking rim running type of center. But I think that their, their, their uh, philosophy, I think with this, and by the way, on the G league thing, they don't have a G league team. I have heard that they're working on it. And it, it might take a couple of years logistically, but one difference between this front office and the previous front office is that they actively think that's important and they're trying to make that happen. It's just a matter of logistics. But uh, as far as Baji, I asked Chauncey about the two-way guys, I want to say two or three weeks ago. He gave me the sense that uh, John Butler is maybe further along development-wise than Baji is. But actually, uh, last month, I was in Vegas at the G League Winter Showcase and... None. The Blazers did not have any players down there, but I did get a chance to talk to uh, Chase and Allen, the head coach of the Wisconsin Herd, and he was talking about how he thinks that Baji has a ton of upside and he's going to be really good, but he's really, really raw. And I thought it was interesting that they didn't, since those two guys, those two two-way guys are just not playing at all, that they didn't send them to the showcase to at least get some reps. But what I've heard about that is that they want to get guys kind of fully integrated into you know, their system and their, you know, the, the, you know, being around the team and stuff. And then, and since they're probably not going to play at all this year, they're not really worried about like trying to get them reps now. Cause they view them both. Like I'll bet they're both going to play summer league next year. And then maybe if that goes well next year, they'll, they'll get some minutes, but they, they, so far they've been viewing the two way stuff as like real long-term developmental stuff. Like I would, I would be shocked if Ibu Baji actually even played at all this season. But, uh, John, thanks a lot for, for waiting. Uh, what, uh, what can we do for you? Yeah, I wanted to uh, do a little deeper dive on Josh Hart. So, mm-hmm. Sean, you said, um, you know, I agree with you that he's their best tr- trade asset right now. He makes $13 million. He has a player option this summer. He's so turning down question, that player option. <laughs> you think? Well, yes. That, that was the first question is, you know, he – He's obviously a really talented player with his rebounding, great vibes guy, great attitude. But like his shooting has become such a problem that I wonder, are there going to be a lot of teams that are going to pay him more than 13 per year? And then kind of the follow-up to that is, you know, should the Blazers trade him for something now rather than losing him for nothing in the summer? Because I don't think he's their long-term small forward, and you can't throw that much money at him if he's not your long-term small forward. What do you think of that? Can I can I jump in real quick, Sean? Sure. I, I, yeah. If if I was him, I would uh, be picking up that player option unless I I had a really good sense that there was three ish years at the full mid level waiting for me. Because given, you know, some of the offensive issues, um, he is, seems like the kind of guy who could be left without a chair if he went into unrestricted free agency without kind of knowing what was out there 
beforehand. So I think he would get the full mid level. I think I don't think he would have any trouble having a, finding a team that give would give would give him a three year mid level deal. I I mean I think that's that that is an, if the shooting the reluctance to shoot given that he is a a smaller guard who is who is also not really a point guard. I think that that I would be worried. So that's that's I would I would not uh, I would not you know pencil in that that you know exercising the player option to become a free agency. I would not uh, I would not pencil that in. Like well, right now. well, who knows? I mean, I yep. I would assume that I would assume that this is something that Joe Crone. I mean, you know, he's going to be in kind of a tough spot either way because if you trade Josh Hart, I mean, we've talked about all of the reasons that he's valuable, even with, with the offensive issues being what they are, the, the rebounding for his size, the defense, the, you know, he's one of the most well-liked guys in the locker room. Like, like, you know, we've talked about like a guy that I covered, they play different positions, but a guy, he he's very similar just in terms of his whole like value to a team, to a guy that I covered for many years in Chicago. And that's Taj Gibson. And that's, you know, at the time you, a guy you look at and say every single team in the league could use a guy like this. So if you know if you're Joe Cronin, you're trading him, that's going to be an unpopular decision. I think both with the fan base and in the locker room because everyone on the team likes him. But also, like if he, you get the sense, and I'm sure Joe is talking to his representatives right now about whether he's going to pick up that option or whether he'd be open to some kind of smaller money extension or whatever. But if you get the sense that you're going to lose him for nothing, then you kind of have to get something for him, don't you? And I, I mean, I'll, and beyond that, I just from a roster balance perspective, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, he, he's probably like of, he's someone who I think other teams would be most wanting to add to their playing staff this year. He strikes the, he strikes the yeah. best balance out of yes. like, I don't think Nurkic is as unmovable because of his contract as other people do. Like, I think he's been good enough, especially lately that you would be able to move him if it was like for an upgrade. Like, I think, I, I don't know who that would be off the top of my head, but like, as, but as far as like the guys that are like the most likely to get traded, I think that Josh Hart probably is right in the sweet spot of making little enough money that most teams will be able to match salary and being good enough and valuable enough to enough different kinds of teams that you'll be able to get something for him because he's somebody the teams want. While also not being like a core piece that you're building around and you can't in any circumstances lose long term. Like I think he's like the exact right, you know, balance of like when you're looking at like what the trade, you know, assets are on this team heading into the trade deadline. He like checks all the boxes of like a guy that just for a lot of reasons is val as much as you know, they like him here, but, you know, are they going to be able to keep him long-term? Are they going to be able to re-sign him? Like, how much will it cost to do that? Like, And, you know, and especially, you know, now that Gary Payton II is back healthy exactly. and playing and Nasir Little is healthy, like, there are other guys at those positions kind of in that spot that kind of play that same role that are, you know, under contract for longer or younger. or what. Like, I just, it, it, it seems like that's the way, like that, like that, that would be the way that they would go. But we're and, so far from the deadline yeah. at this point. Like, I was saying something about this on Twitter earlier. Like, every single player that you hear, like, maybe available in trade, every team wants, like, a young player in an un- – like, I saw, I saw a report right. the other day that, like, the Pistons are wanting a young player in an unprotected first-round pick for Alec Burks. Like, Alec Burks is a fine role player. He would help a lot of teams. But, like, you're coming off the bench on, like, one of the worst teams in the league. You're not getting – a young player in an unprotected first round pick for somebody like that. Or like the Rockets are not getting an unprotected first round pick for Eric Gordon. But like, 
we're at this point now. Like, I think that this is going to be, I don't know how active of a trade deadline this is going to be, but I think, I don't think any deals are going to get done until like three days before the deadline, because that's when all of these teams come off of these ridiculous asking prices for a lot of these guys and actually get serious. I, I mean, I, I, I had Eric Pincus on last week and I, I feel like I would, I would actually want to move first rather than, than, than hold out. Yeah. Because, well, the, you get, you see what we happened last year where all these like, you know, they held the line on, on these big asks and then didn't trade guys they should have traded. Right. Um, and I think that might happen, but it's going to take until like the week before the deadline for anything to happen. I, I, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, I've thrown out a few names and those are all just guys that like feasibly they, they could be going after or could be looking at that could be gettable for what they have. But I haven't really actually heard anything concrete about like usually, usually by this time of year, I'll have some kind of idea of which guys they're actually interested in and who they're talking about and going after right now. It's so quiet because everybody's asking prices are so high that like the, the market is totally out of whack. I'll, 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 I'll make a point and you can tell me if, uh, if I'm off base or not. I think that actually is among the things that speaks better of Joe Cronin than anything else because happy people don't talk. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I do talk to Joe somewhat regularly. No, right? but, but I'm saying like, 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 I'm not saying they don't like, they don't chat, but right. they don't talk. Right. That's the thing. Like, I've never like, like, like Joe has never like, you know, we've talked after the fact about like some things that, you know, were on the table that they didn't do for whatever reason. But like, he has never like during, you know, the lead up to a draft or a, you know, a free agency period or a trade deadline, he has not told me, oh, we're going after this guy and this team wants this and we're actively having these conversations. Like, like I have never that's not a conversation that I've ever had with him about anybody but you know i i think that he's you know just based on just you know the maybe year or year plus whatever whatever it was december right that that he took over so like a little over a year body of work he is pretty aggressive about like trying to be active and trying to do stuff but he's also not going to just do stuff just to do it like you you've kind of seen what his philosophy is he likes you know there's a certain archetype of player you look at every single guy that he's basically brought in whether it be like you know a jeremy grant a josh hart a justice winslow uh you know they're they're all like the same gary payton the same type of like mentality of guy and then he also likes to take big swings like drafting shaden sharp despite you know having basically no tape on him from college like he has like there's a few things that you can kind of go off of to say you know these are the you know the things that he looks at and these are the things that he values and these are like the types of players he likes but he's also i don't think he's gonna just like make a move just to make a move sure no i it was less about about him talking than other people like you know we always knew like for a long time we kind of always knew what the sacramento kings were thinking about everything Right. Because or or at least the kinds of things they were talking about, because there was five different factions in the organization. Right. Whichever one was not ascendant was, you know, <laughs> talking. They, 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 would, they would they would say things. I don't know. Sam Amick or something like that. Whoever. Well, he was he's yeah. he's completely revamped the front office and I'm yeah. still getting kind of a handle. And you and I have talked about this before, because obviously Schmitz is somebody that, you know, was a very, you know, public front-facing person at ESPN for a long time. And Sergey Oliva, one of the other assistant GMs, is somebody that you know very well. Like, yeah. but like, And then their other assistant GM is Andre Patterson, who was more of a player personnel guy with the Cavs for a long time. I've gotten to know him a little bit. I like him a lot. 
personally, and he seems like he's a well-liked guy around the league. But it, I've gotten the sense. One more, if I can add. Uh, uh, yeah. Former Buck scout, B.J. Domingo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Head of yeah. player personnel, who I, also another like very high quality individual was with USA yeah. basketball for a while. That's something that's something that the that this organ since you know the previous GM was fired, that's something that they really prioritize. And, you know, I should also mention Asia Jones, the former WNBA player who, from my understanding, is in charge of their salary cap now. Like Joe like Cap guy was Joe Cronin's job under Neil Olshay, but now that he's the GM, he doesn't have time to be the cap guy anymore. So he had to hire a new cap person. And my understanding is that's Asia Jones's job now. So he has a pretty like a pretty you know expansive front office. But and so the couple of things that I've heard from people about him, as opposed to maybe his predecessor, are that in meetings he listens way more than he talks, and he always wants to hear different people's perspectives on on stuff. And he you know has people from you know, a variety of backgrounds, like Andre Patterson is like a form. He, he played in the, he played in the NBA for like a minute, but he had a pretty long international career. And then Mike Schmitz is obviously like a more of a scouting and draft, you know, focused guy. And then your guy, Sergey is more of a, you know, analytics background. Like, so he has like guys from different backgrounds that he wants to hear different perspectives from. And he kind of wants to, you know, build consensus as opposed to just like, this is the way I want to do it. And if you don't like it, you know, you know, shut up. Right. Um, back to the substance of it. The last, I mean, the last, I think finishing up on, on Josh Hart in particular, since uh-huh. uh, thank, and thanks for the question, John. Um, I, the, the other question, and this is, you know, you, you mentioned earlier them wanting to make an all in move to, uh, you know, build that last, you, you know, contender around the contending core around Dame. Right. Um, my question is, is Josh Hart good enough to be a guy who's making above mid-level money on, that type of team. And I don't think so. And so that, that would be the thing among anything else that would make him expendable to me is if you are, especially, I mean, in that sort of all in scenario, like you mentioned earlier, like him and packaging him and Nurkic and picks for Aiton. It's like in a minute, because you know, the, the, you're, you're trying to add that top end talent and you know, is, is Josh Hart an eighth man on, on, uh, on, on that type of roster? you want to be paying your eight, eighth man $14 million a year? Um, and, and so that's that's kind of where I come down on that. Yeah, and I would I would guess that ultimately, like I think there's arguments for and against trading Josh Hart, but I think ultimately, assuming they get, you know, there, there, there's a deal that they like, I think that I would lean towards that being yeah. kind of the way that they go. Yeah. Um, I, got, I got you for about five more minutes. So, and, and uh, again, I got time, man. To... We can go over. Uh, I, I I have to pick my daughter up from her dance okay. class. So, <laughs> um, but uh, so uh, what else? Should, what else should we cover about this team? Like what you know, you you are uh, you're close to close to them on the day to day. What uh, you know, what else has caught your eye recently or across the season? Uh, I'm really excited about Shaden Sharp in the dunk contest in a month. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> That's there's let's see. There's that. Uh, you know, back to kind of the rookies, like Jabari Walker is kind of interesting. I think that's another Mike Schmidt special where, you know, uh, he, he's a guy, I don't know how he, I don't know how he felt at 50. Our mutual friend, Brian Schroeder, who's like a draft, you know, savant was talking about when they drafted him. He was like, there's not 20 players better in this draft class than Jabari Walker. And he's he looking described like him a, the exact way you did is the guy who's not going to be spectacular. He's just going to be a good basketball player. He's going to have a 12 year, he's going to have a 12 year career. And I think yeah. part of it, and we talked about this in the summer, but 
we were talking to him a lot in Vegas at summer league. And cause his, so his dad is a uh, Samaki Walker who had a probably 10, 12 year or so career. And he was talking about how his dad was telling him about how you have to embrace being a role player and you have to en- embrace doing things besides scoring in order to stay on the floor. And I was just like, sitting there thinking like the 19 year old kid already has that kind of self-awareness about what his role is going to be in the league. Like he's going to be okay. I'll say this. This is something that even in, in, you know, my time in the league, there was, it seemed like, you know, when I first got there, every kid was like, I'm uh, like, what, whose game do you look up to? It's like, ah, T-Mac and Kobe and stuff like that. Right. And then by the last draft process we went through, it was like, we're getting like Boris Diaw, Draymond, and, yeah, well, or just even like just solid, like professional, like I don't know if it's agents doing a much better job of coaching guys or just you know the money for even like mid tier guys getting. So I much think the like, money is kind of the like, thing, yeah, because it used to be that you had to be averaging twenty five points a game to get you know, $20 million a year. But now it's like, if you just go in and you're like, give me that Alex Caruso money. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. like the, like those types of guys. Like, I think it's because like a lot of, not everyone, but a lot of front offices are a lot smarter and know how to look at stuff besides like points per game. Now, like, I think that's something that's great. That's grown a lot in the last decade. And so now, you know, if you have other things that you bring to the table, like some front office is going to decide that that's undervalued and give you some money. Yeah, but that's, I mean, I think that, that, that is, that is a good thing for a player to come in with is, is, uh, and this is often, this is often why guys who, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the Jose Alvarado's of the world who bounce around for a minute. Gary and, Payton yeah, just got and, this, just got his first real big contract yeah. with the Blazers and, you know, after, you know, having, you know, that sort of path. Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, that was as much, you know, I think, he, I don't think he didn't know what he was. I think the league hadn't figured out the best way to use him. Right, because uh, it's like, oh well, he's a he's a point guard, so we got to play him at point guard, and it's like, well, he's not really. And he's just been, he's been he's been he's only he's only played a handful of games because he had the core muscle thing that he spent like half the season recovering from. But he's been awesome since he came back. He's been he's doing exactly the same stuff for the Blazers that he did with Golden State last year. He just goes in there, he'll just you know. They stuck him on Donovan Mitchell, and he 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 had Donovan Mitchell really. You know, he had him in kind of in hell for like part for like a lot of that game, or like he put they put him on Luca, and he just will annoy guys. And the other thing about him, and you can just like physically see, not just from him, but like he's one of those guys like he checks in, and everybody else on the team starts playing harder on defense because you look bad if you're not playing as hard as him. And he just kind of has that like contagious like quality about him in that way. And the fact that he can play up means that yeah. you, know, you can put him with you can put him with small ball handers so he doesn't he can kind of you know run the baseline and 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 spot up and not have to handle the ball a lot and that it's it's a, it's the same thing that's why it worked in Golden State is is okay well he's going to take the tough guy that Steph doesn't want to guard or Jordan mm-hmm. doesn't want to yeah. guard but yeah. he can but he can be effective offensively by he can you know, being knock off down the ball a corner three too yeah hit hit a corner three cut to the basket offensive rebound. Do, do those things. So, I mean, it's, that's as much about, you know, the league figuring out the right role for him. And now that, yeah. that and that now it's like, oh, yeah, that's how we should play. And now he, you know, goes to his next team that also has, like, the small defensively challenged ball handlers in it. You kind of, it's like, yes, exactly. We'll plug him in the same spot. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this is, uh, you know, going just real quick back to, you know, we were talking a little bit about, like, the front office stuff and then also just about, like, where, I see them in the West. I think one of the things that I, ha- I think they have going for them 
that a lot of, you know, some of these other, we certainly Minnesota and, you know, Phoenix and some of these other teams don't really have going for them is even with their ownership situation being what it is post, you know, Neil Shea and post, you know, last year's tank job post, whatever, they are, are kind of just in this organizational situation right now where the three people who are the most important voices, which are the star player, the head coach and the general manager are all completely in lockstep and everybody's kind of falling behind them. And they, you know, in the locker room, like everybody, you know, is getting along and nobody's like playing for their own stats or playing for their own, like, like they just, they have like the, their, the baseline of like their stability is just so much higher than I think it's been in the last few years. And that's why I'm as much as they haven't, you know, the, the last you know few weeks haven't been going great for them on the court. I feel pretty optimistic about where they're at. Just I mean, that's that's a that's a great reason to be optimistic about you know a team surviving and and you know and yeah. grinding out wins in the NBA. Because season. because because when you listen to Dame, like you know, Dame's been in the league long enough. I've covered him long enough. He doesn't just say stuff just to say stuff. So when he comes up there after these losses and says, "Look, you know, we're gonna be fine. I'm not really worried. Like we just got to keep going." Like I, you believe him. Because he believes it, and it, and it, it, I guess that you know, I, I, on you know, we started off talking about like not wanting to you know be down in the doldrums, but if if Dame is saying that, then that means that no one's panicking. So it's like no. this sucks, but we're yeah. uh, so I think that is eighty two games is a lot, yeah. man. You're going to go through rough patches. No, I think that again, that's that's something I don't think I don't think fans understand like how important just managing, getting through that. And, and this is why, you know, when people, you know, fetishize character and stuff like that, but it's really, it's, it's like, you're spending so much time with these people that just existing alongside yeah. each other. And that's, you know, from everything from front office to yeah. like the equipment, the equipment folks. And like, Dame is also the yeah. kind of guy that guys like to play with. And he like, he like, yeah. like, like Nasir, and I wrote about this in my story from the last game, but Nasir Little came back for the first time in six weeks. And he had been playing in a, you know, in order to kind of get ready, like a couple days before that, he had been playing in a scrimmage with some of their younger guys and Dane was watching it. And he like, he felt like, a, he felt like Nasir was, you know, playing exactly the way they wanted him to play. And so later that day, he sent him a text and so was like, Hey, whatever you, what you were doing in that scrimmage against the end of bench guys, just do that when we get, when you get back in the lineup. And then he checks in and on the first possession, Dame says, go to the corner. I'm going to get you a shot. And then he gets him a corner three that he makes. So like he like Dame is a guy like he'll go out of his way to like put, you know, try to make sure that other people feel like they can be successful next to him. Uh, the, the Dame is one of the few guys in the league, like the great culture leader. Yeah. I think is very overblown. I think we have close to a decade of experience to suggest that if there, if it's true of anyone, he is on the very short list of whom. Yeah. He, that that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, Sean, thanks again for, uh, for joining me. I gotta, I gotta let you go. I gotta get, get on with the uh, parenting duties here. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, as always, thanks for joining. Thanks, folks, for listening. And uh, you should uh, check out uh, Mo DeKeel and I are are going to be uh, watching some games tomorrow night on the Playback app, doing some second screen stuff. So if you are a League Pass subscriber, jump on with me and Mo and uh, check that out. And thanks for listening. I will be back, I believe, on Friday with Fred Katz. Might have one earlier in the week than that. But uh, we can talk some Knicks and see what else we talk about this week. Uh, 